I did not surprise uh, the UN Security Council members with what we demanded. I did not surprise them with what's going on in Syria. I believe that our relationship with the international community is not based on hope, but rather based on determination. I will keep repeating what I'm saying, and all of us are doing the same. We don't have any other option. We'll just keep repeating everything we're doing. We'll keep repeating our demands till they listen to us. This is Instant Coffee, a new podcast brought to you by the LSE Middle East Center and produced by me, Nadine Almanaspi. And me, Ribal Sleiman Haider. In our final episode of this season, Instant Coffee's Ribal Sleiman Haider speaks with Wafa Mustafa about her father's enforced disappearance in Syria and why the world should be doing more to help. Wafa is a Syrian activist, campaigner, and journalist, a survivor of detention and member of Families for Freedom, a group of women-led Syrian families demanding freedom for all of the country's arbitrarily detained and forcibly disappeared citizens. Over to you, Ribal. Hi, Wafa. Thank you so much for talking to me today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you for um, inviting me to this um, conversation. I'm very excited. We're very excited to be having you here. How's Berlin? How's everything going? It's it's going, I guess. It's going well. We have some restrictions now, but I guess uh, this applies to the whole universe. So. Yeah, it's it's strange times to be alive, to be honest. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to talking to you about yourself, your work and how you got to where you are today. Um, you work with Families for Freedom and everything you're doing since your dad was arrested around nine years ago in Syria is really inspirational and also very brave. Um, I wanted to ask you about how you became so political in a way. Would you say that it was your dad's arrest that forced you into it or were you, were you politically engaged before that? Um, well, no, I mean, I've, um, I would say that I was born political somehow. When I was born, my dad decided to give me a name of a Palestinian news agency. So the minute I was born, he shaped, or at least he contributed in shaping my identity. And that played, to be honest, I mean, our names play a huge role in our um, identities and, and lives. And mine did as well. But um, that was just one detail of many, um, because I mean, since I was um, since I was ten, I guess, or nine, my dad um, started taking me to protests supporting the Palestinian cause, supporting Iraq. Um, so I've always been um, in 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 such events, in such uh, conversations about what's going on in Palestine and how is that not very far from us and uh, what we can do. I mean, I was I was just a kid, but uh, but and also, I mean, in Syria, you know, walls have ears. So you do not really talk about politics at home. You don't you do not really you're not supposed to um, talk or even to listen to such conversations but but we did i mean since i was born my dad was always on uh, watching the news was always um having conversations with friends about politics and about our country and about how how this country is not is not actually free and is not democratic so yeah i mean i was i was raised listening to this and going to protests with my dad 
So I would say that was that that actually started my whole like I don't know this political aspect of my identity, and uh, yeah, this is why when 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 my dad got arrested on the second of July twenty thirteen. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't something we did not expect because my dad was even arrested before the revolution. And also at the beginning of the revolution in 2011. So we've we've always knew that that this will happen, but unfortunately, uh, knowing that doesn't make it any easy. And did you did you in any way talk about it with him before? Was it a thing that you discussed? Um, you mean like political activism or or him being arrested yeah i mean we definitely did i think everyone in syria did especially people who were quite active because we knew that i mean since day one we knew that that uh, that any of us could be arrested at any uh, moment and uh, and i guess all families in syria did this conversation where they told each other that if i get arrested I want you to do this and this and this. And and we had this conversation with my dad and he said that if I get arrested, I just want you to leave the country because in Syria and this probably applies to many other countries. Unfortunately, this is the nature of uh, of detention and enforced disappearance that the authorities, when they arrest someone, especially men, they usually arrest other family members, especially women, to put pressure on the detainees to admit uh, stuff they didn't even do. And uh, and because of that, my dad actually asked us uh, to leave the country if he gets arrested, especially that he was arrested before. And me and my sister were also arrested at the beginning of the revolution. So we had a record and uh, we knew that it, it would be even more difficult for him if they actually uh, used us to, to pressure him. That brings up a good question that I had as well, that um, looking at Families for Freedom, you say that you're a women-led movement, which of course is very empowering, but at the same time, the sad truth behind that is the fact that um, most of these women were kind of forced into this position because they lost the man of their household. What are the practical difficulties that you face when the man is detained as a family? Practically, how do you how, how do you manage? Well, it, it is it is very difficult. And this is something we um, we usually tend just to maybe ignore because sometimes the the, the emotional, the psychological aspect of it is is more, I don't know, um, present. But especially if you come if you if you if you are born and raised in a country where actually men are um, said to be the ones who actually support the family financially, and I mean I come from from a quite liberal family, so my mom was also working, but still my dad was the main supporter of the family financially, and losing him was very surprising on many different levels and was very difficult on many different levels. Because of that, we had to flee the country. So fleeing the country as three women, uh, I mean, it was me, my mom and my sister who was back then uh, 13, fleeing the country, just the three of us, and illegally was, was very dangerous. And moving to another country, which language, which culture, which geography we know nothing about, was not easy. I mean, this is not easy to anyone, um, especially if you are just women 
and uh, and we fled with nothing. I mean, we only had our passports. We didn't we didn't have any like money, financial support, or whatever. And we fled with this burden of losing our dad, but we still had to to do daily tasks and to survive which is very difficult we had i had to find a job i had to support my family financially uh we had to rent a house and in this uh, this could happen anywhere especially if you are a woman you are in a in a position where it seems easier for for others to exploit you and to use you and to pressure you so it wasn't easy to be honest i mean i would say that we survived this is only one aspect of it, uh, which is not which which is not easy at all. I mean, uh, dealing with all of this, you cannot really think of any future or any career. You know, I mean, your priority is not only to survive, but also to support your mom and your sister, and for them also to support each other. So it's that that was not normal by any standard. And did you feel when you got to the um, your new home in a way, did you feel like you could find the community there for support or did you still feel um, alone? Uh, well, I mean, in Turkey, it was it was a bit different. But in Germany, it feels like I mean, I wouldn't call Germany home. I'm I'm pretty uh, strict about this, but but I definitely found a community that actually shares with me everything I want to do, everything I believe in. I mean, Families for Freedom was uh, very crucial uh, in my life when I when I learned about them, when I joined the group. A lot changed in my life. I've been more encouraged and motivated to to do uh, things. I was before that also on like um, psychologically, I wasn't I wasn't very well. I'm still struggling like all of us. But but yeah, I feel more. I feel less lonely. I would say definitely. I feel more motivated. Yeah, I feel like a, like a part of many different families. And. Also looking at, um, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of countries and people around the world and in the Middle East have gone through similar experiences. I know, for example, personally from the Lebanese Civil War, where ten, tens of thousands of people were forcibly disappeared. Do you, as a, as a movement, have connections with other um, communities who have shared experiences? Where do you learn from them? Do you connect to them? Um, yes, actually, uh, we do, and and uh, we 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 paid we paid and still paying attention to this important aspect. We think that it's very important to exchange and to get to know other experiences from other countries, from other contexts. As families for freedom, we've had contact with a group of women from mothers of Serpenitia from Bosnia. Uh, now we've been in contact with a group of. Uh, those who actually work on uh, on or who who are actually concerned uh, with uh, issues related to de- detention, enforced disappearance, torture, justice, and accountability, in many different countries like Chile, Argentina, uh, Nepal, and uh, other places. And we think that this is very important because, I mean, on a personal level, I believe that that linking what's going on in Syria to a bigger struggle is very important because what's going on in Syria is not exclusive to Syria and to the Syrian context. Uh, Using detention and enforced disappearance as a tool 
to terrorize civilians and to oppress liberal movements has always been happening all over um, the planet and, and throughout the history. And getting to, um, to know other experiences and to know how they dealt with it and how they, some of them are still dealing with it is very important. And actually, I think that as family, I would say that as family for freedom, we actually, we, we care about this and we are trying our best to connect with other groups. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, speaking of taking uh, the issue to the, to the international community and making it bigger than Syria, I know that you have, uh, you're very outspoken about it. You've also spoken, for example, to the UN Security Council recently to gather support from the international community. But nine years after the Syrian revolution has started, it seems like the world is slowly accepting the fact that Assad has remained in power. And how, how much hope do you have in the international community? What do you expect of the world's governments and people? Um, this is always a tough question. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I already I went to the, to the UN Security Council session with much frustration, to be honest. And this doesn't, this is not because I wanted to, because it is actually like this for years. I've said this many times. I did not surprise uh, the UN Security Council members with what we demanded. I did not surprise them with what's going on in Syria. I did not. My story is not something they, they, I don't know, they were surprised by, you know. Last year, two other colleagues of mine from Families for Freedom also briefed the council. We've been for years demanding one thing, a resolution on uh, detention and enforced disappearance in, in Syria putting pressure on the Syrian regime and all other actors to just release uh, all uh, those who are uh, detained, kidnapped, or enforced, disappeared. Especially now we're talking about COVID-19. I mean, this is crazy. It's even more urgent. Now, I mean, in Syria, as we all know, the, the government is not very transparent about, uh, about cases in Syria and about what's going on, how people are dealing actually with COVID-19. Doctors are being arrested in Syria only for speaking about cases they saw. And this is happening in the country without talking about detention centers and prisons, without, without talking about people who have been there for years in very very bad situations and very uh, horrific conditions. So yeah, I mean, I, I said all this to the, to the council and uh, it's not that I did it because I, I had the hope that uh, something will change immediately. I believe that our relationship with the, with, the, with the international community is not based on hope, but rather based on determination. It's not that I have hope that they will do something. I believe that I will keep repeating what I'm saying, and all of us are doing the same. We don't have any other option. We'll just keep repeating everything we're doing. We'll keep repeating our demands till they listen to us. We, we, there is no other option. Um, and what do you, what would you want people like us to do? How can we support you? Looking at what's going on everywhere, this world is just very crazy. We all feel useless because many things are happening and this injustice, sometimes, I mean, I just, I'm shocked by this, by how, by how we are just accepting injustice or maybe how we are very helpless. But I believe that at least when it comes to Syria, I believe that the battle now with the Assad regime is over narratives. 
creating this collective memory regarding Syria and regarding what happened and what is still happening is very crucial. This is something we can all contribute to. It's not exclusive to Syrians and to those who witnessed the revolution inside Syria. I mean, we have hundreds of thousands of detainees, those who, who we, we do not even know if they will be back. I believe that it is our duty to preserve this narrative. You can see that it's, it's very crucial for the Syrian regime. Now we have Russia who is providing a huge propaganda uh, about everything uh, happening in Syria. So at least learning about what's going on, talking about it, spreading the, the information we know, and getting the information from trusted sources is good enough, I would say. I mean, this is what I'm doing. I mean, I'm just trying to tell people that this is happening and we should just talk about it. Let's just talk about it. Everything is effective because this is not, this is not a war, in my opinion. This is a daily struggle. To be honest, in short, I'm, I'm doing all this just to keep my father present in my life and in other people's minds and memories. I just believe that we only exist if we are remembered and if each of us helps in preserving the memory of someone, then this is, this is, this is good enough. Well, Wafa, I'm afraid this is all the time we have today, but thank you so much for speaking to us. It's been a pleasure hearing about you and all the inspiring work you are doing. You said it so well, we only exist if we are remembered. So I hope we all keep talking about those who are missing in Syria and everywhere else in the world so they are never forgotten. Thank you again. Uh, well, thank you so much because I believe that, I mean, this, this platform and this opportunity is very important for me and for, I guess, all of us who, for all others who do not have um, platforms to speak out. So thank you so much. Thank you, Wafa, for taking the time to speak to us. And thank you for listening to Instant Coffee, your quick fix of everything Middle East. We'll be back with brand new material in the new year. In the meantime, you can listen to our previous episodes on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to be the first to hear about our new season. 